The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Fed fallout, stocks hit new lows, and fears of a recession intensify. We're covering it all with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today... Shannon Sakosha, Josh Brown, Surat Sethi, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let me show you what the markets are doing at this very moment. We're off the worst levels, but as you can see, it's still a rough day, and very much so on Wall Street. Dow's given up 30,000, and it's still below that. That's down 685. S&P off 3%. NASDAQ was down 4%. It's cut that a little bit, but not really. Now, uh, the Russell 2000 down by more than 4%. 333, the yield on the 10-year note. So that's where we stand. John and Jerry and I go to you first. Um, I want your instant reaction now uh, to what we got yesterday from the Fed, from somebody who was quite negative before the meeting. Now, where are you after the mm -hmm. meeting? Um, I'm still negative, Scott. I think the Fed did about what they could do yesterday. I know Mr. Wonderful wanted a full point uh, increased. I don't think that was in the cards. Neither did you. Um, but I thought that if we ripped, we would rip up today. We have, and I still think we're going to be looking at a thousand point decline, even though we're not there right now. Um, and then I think we, you know, are going to be tested, Scott, sadly, because we're going into a, a long weekend. Uh, we don't trade on Monday. None of the markets in the U.S. will be open. So, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past about crypto. When crypto has those uh, what next moments, the market right now is having one of those what next moments. And uh, right now, I, there's really nothing good out there, Scott. Yeah. Shan, I mean, it, it feels like we've, we've moved a little bit. The, the fear, if you will, has gone from the Fed not getting the message and not doing enough to the Fed now doing potentially too much in the face of what may be a faster slowing economy than they and others realize. It's like they waited too long. Now they're doing too much argument. You, you buy that? In some ways. I mean, I think if we look at, Scott, what the expectations are from the dot plot and you look at where we were three days ago versus where we are today, we've certainly seen an increase in what's anticipated. Um, I think the Fed's doing the right thing by front-loading this, to be entirely honest with you, because I think that in order to get um, some easing in terms of the aggressiveness that they are telegraphing in the fourth quarter, we need to see meaningful improvement. I thought that Powell's uh, address yesterday uh, really drove home the importance of every single one of these data points. Um, and Josh has made this comment on the show and in his blog a couple of times over the last few months, 
every single data point is important at this point. And so with the um, dramatically disappointing number last week, I wasn't surprised to see the Fed get really aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised for them to potentially telegraph another 75 basis points next month and even put an August meeting on the docket. But I do think we're going to start to see real improvement here. I, I, I think that there is going to be goods demand destruction. I continue to think that we're seeing a meaningful rotation to services. We're going to see some inflation there too. Hotels, airlines, look at the credit card data. Um, but I think we need to be appropriately concerned about slowing down the economy, but acknowledging that that is what needs to happen because we're not getting the supply chain improvement yeah. that we were anticipating. You, you don't want to break anything. That's the problem. And that's what the market appears to be worried about. Josh, I mean, the, the data is not good, okay? Philly Fed negative yeah. for since July of 2020. Housing starts ugly, lowest level since April of 2020. Wells Fargo says we are changing our base case forecast now for next year from an economic soft landing to a mild recession starting in mid-2023. There are serious doubts as to whether the Fed gets it, whether their own forecasts are still too positive. Powell yesterday said, quote, no sign of a broader slowdown. I had Jeffrey Gundlach, Josh, as you know, on overtime yesterday, says he doesn't think a soft-ish landing is possible, that the non-recession case isn't credible, and that the economy appears to be much weaker than people say. Listen to Gundlach. We'll react on the other side. Where's the strong economy? I mean, I, retail sales aren't exactly strong. Personal consumption expenditures, they, they look strong because there's inflation in there. Um, you know, housing is, is, has become extremely less affordable. So where's the growth supposed to come from? It's not housing. Uh, you know, is, is it, is it going to come from global trade? doesn't feel like it. So I, I just, I've had a hard time finding where the economic growth is naturally going to come from. All right. So that's Gunlock, Josh. Liz Ann Saunders of Schwab Today tweets, U.S. consumers losing interest in spending money on several goods and services. Only topics where Google search activity hasn't declined are exercise equipment, telecom, and job interviews. Kroger today talks about big trade downs, airfares falling for the first time, customers talking about rising prices, housing prices are down, mortgage rates are soaring. What do you say? Uh, if, you're listening to, if you're listening to the Fed, the question is which Fed, because... Uh, what Powell is saying does not jibe with what the Atlanta uh, Fed's GDP now forecast says. Uh, that forecast says we are in recession, n uh, no growth in in uh, in the second quarter. So we'll, you know, by the time we we get like actual clean data post all the revisions, it takes a while. Um, but I've made this point on the show. I've been making it for a while. It doesn't matter if we're in a recession or a soft landing. Because in the minds of the consumer, and the consumer is 70% of the economy, it already feels like a recession. It already feels like a recession. So it's, we're, it's almost like semantics at this point. We are in a slowdown. Um, it feels horrible. The people who can, who can least afford to be in an environment like this are obviously the people at the lower end of the income scale. And while a strong labor market has helped, I want to show you some markets that I think are going to have a negative multiplier effect that we will be feeling for at least the next two quarters, almost regardless of what the Fed does at this point. They actually can't even help here. Um, we just had mortgage rates surge to 5.78%. That is the largest one-week increase since 1987. Yes, that 1987. Uh, housing starts declined 14.5% from April to May. That is an enormous decrease. 
Single family starts dropped 9% to an annual rate of only a million house, uh, 1.05 million uh, month over month. And why that's not great is really the only engine of, of the economy that we can rely on is the positive multiplier effect from new household formation. The demographics are on our side, but that's not working out if we're not going to build enough affordable homes, and we're not. Um, and so now building permits fall another 7%. That's month over month. That's not versus last year. These are startling, almost overnight declines echoed in the layoffs that we've heard about from Compass and Redfin, and there will be more. And you, so you see the home building stocks. You see DHI, you see Lennar, uh, NV, uh, NVR, you see Pulte. Mm-hmm. They're all down somewhere between 5 and 8% today. But they're tiny stocks. Those stocks don't matter at all to the calculation of the S&P 500. However, the product that they sell is enormously important. And when you lose that aspect of consumer confidence and spending, when the home that they're in doesn't sell, and when uh, applications to buy new homes declines, a lot of ancillary spending in our uh, economy goes away with that. So you're probably going to have a bust, quite frankly, in durables. If you bought a new washing machine in 2021, you're not buying one in 2022, obviously. So I think that that is really important because we talk about this transition of the economy. Uh We're going to go from items to services. Okay, that sounds great. The thing is, services are very small in the S&P 500 earnings. Um, Durable goods and actual Items that we buy are very large. It's just uh, it's it's just a, a relic of the way these indices were originally constructed. So if you understand that the few remaining areas where there's consumer enthusiasm, like travel, are really tiny for the earnings picture, then it's hard to say that having earnings up eight or nine percent this year is is realistic. And what that ends up meaning is people coming out, cutting estimates, and you will see them start to say. In two months, in three months, what I am saying now, which is that negative multiplier effects from high gasoline, from overconsumption over the last two years that doesn't need to be repeated, and from falling home values and home equity and stock market portfolios make it so that the idea of a soft landing really becomes laughable. And the longer this goes on for, the more laughable it is. So So I'm holding out hope that it doesn't have to be 2008 or anything like that, but... It's we've not seen the worst yet. So speaking of what Josh was talking about, Surat, earnings expectations, growth estimates are about five and a half percent right now. Um, they have come down a little bit. Here's the numbers on your screen today. They're, they're whistling 5.4%. past the graveyard. Now, that's my point, Surat, is because I go back to the most basic question I have asked all of you over the last however many days, if not weeks. What is the right price to pay for stocks? It's as simple as that. The answer is you have no idea. The answer is you have no idea. The answer is the answer is we don't know, and we don't know what the estimate decline is going to be. We do know it's not going to be a growth of five percent. Energy keeps up the S and P. It's you know five six percent of the S and P. But to Josh's point, there are so many other companies out there. We already got the early indication. uh, You know, we got the indication from Target. We got the indication from Walmart. And earnings growth are going to come down. Estimates are going to come down. Analysts are still behind it. Companies are going to start talking about, hey, all of a sudden we have demand destruction. Not only that, we have margin compression. Mm-hmm. Now, not you know, we, we can't really provide it. So I think what the market's telling you at this point is, 
hey, what is the S&P earnings? Is it 200? Is it 210? And then what multiple do we want to put on it? 18 seems pretty high because you think? You know, your 10 years, three and a half going to 4%. You want to hear this? So, no, I mean, I'm JP that, Morgan, I, I no, hear no. you. I know you're not saying that. I know you're asking it as sort of uh, what is the right number. Um, JP yeah. Morgan is assessing that question too, hypothetical or not. Right. And, and, they suggest that if you cut consensus estimates by 20%, from 250 to 200, and they put a 15 times multiple on that, you get 3,000 in the S&P. Surat, right. does that make some sense to oh, you? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if 15 is right. Could be 14, could be 16. But what I can say is if you're going to look for some type of silver lining and markets react sometimes like this is, hey, once you've actually discounted this and you've actually said this is what our earnings are going to be, what is going to happen after that? And for some of these companies that had so much of their demand pulled in because of COVID, because they had all these goods and, you know, they had so much demand, they had pricing, you're going to see some type of bottoming. And that's where it's going to be interesting to see where do you want to be. But we could be bumping around, you know, the 3,031 to 3,600 until we actually get these estimates cut and reality sets in that, hey, we have a Fed that's raising rates. We have companies cutting estimates. And at the same time, we don't really have a handle on inflation. So what's so interesting to me is the contrast of all of you and so many of you who are watching with the Fed chair himself, who says the economy is strong enough to withstand higher interest rates. I think he used those exact words yesterday. That's obviously in question nope. today. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Actually, Not a chance. You know what he did yesterday? You know, you know what he did yesterday? Mm. You know what he did yesterday? And everybody should and everybody should be aware of this. He actually removed the part of the statement where he said that the labor market should remain strong. And for me, that's like the whole shooting match. That's the only thing that we've been able to point to since February when when we broke down uh, technically the only like salient economic data point that would make sense to to have hope for that. Okay, a lot of bad stuff, high prices, this, that, the other thing, but you can get a job. There's two open jobs for every one applicant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you lose that, meaning not we go to 8% unemployment, but if that starts to accelerate in the wrong direction, which it hasn't yet, candidly, but if it does, if the layoffs all of a sudden become non-hiring and the non-hiring all of a sudden becomes firing, um, that's like the last leg of the stool. So. That, that would be the only thing that realistically could prevent uh, a, a recession is that, yeah, the market's lousy. My home price is down 10 percent, 15 percent, but I'm making as much money as ever. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to muddle through. There is a chance that that still happens. Sure. But he just pulled that out of the statement yesterday. But he 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 also continues to believe now maybe it's just a glimmer at this point that that they can pull it off without too much damage. And to some that I've been speaking with, at least he gave himself some optionality by this time, not saying that 75 basis points was off the table, even though he didn't use those exact words the last time. He said 50 or 75 is appropriate next time. David Tepper told me afterwards yesterday, last time was ridiculous. At least this time, it's in the realm of the possible. He in September, himself, in September, he left in, himself sorry, optionality. In September, he said one rate hike this year. Well, Please. Right. In September, he said one rate hike in 2022, which, which is okay? why. And now it's three. There's not one Fed committee member now saying sub three percent. And the median 
if you believe in the dot plot, which I don't, but okay, whatever, let's say people do, the median expectation is 3.6. They were saying one rate hike nine months ago. Come on, what well, are we talking about? I hear you. Well, I mean, nine <laughs> days ago, they yeah. were going to do 50. Nine days ago, they were going to do 50. Right. Which is why Wolf Research today says they don't buy the rip that they got yesterday, obviously prescient because today it's reversed. Nope. In our view... Fed Chair yep. Powell's tone was very dovish, and the FOMC is very likely to continue running way behind the inflation curve, to Josh's point. Shannon, further, we believe that the Fed's economic projections are extremely optimistic. I've heard that from multiple people that I've spoken with over the last 24 hours who run a lot of money. Overly optimistic from the Fed. Then the other problem is, what's the catalyst to get the buyers to come in? We could just name so many things that cause the sellers to come in. What gets the buyers in? Bank of America today. We're in a bit of a news vacuum at this point. PCE comes at the end of the month as the light at the end of the tunnel. Investors are left managing positions without any further real guidance. Earnings don't start until July 14th. So Shannon, what do you do in this interim period of essentially three and a half weeks? Yeah, I mean, and, and Scott, I've been talking about this for weeks. This is we're absolutely in a no man's land because we're not getting any of the real um, impact to Surratt and Josh's point about how far do these earnings estimates need to come down. You know, we, we have to hear from the companies. Um, they've already guided conservatively. We saw that in the first quarter. A uh, number of management teams came out and were conservative. We've seen more guidance that's been increasingly more conservative in this quarter um, and throughout this quarter coming into this earnings season. Uh, but the important thing here is that, you know, the Fed, yes, they said in September that there was one. And then we had a war in Ukraine and we had a zero COVID policy that essentially shut down any meaningful improvement in supply chain dislocation coming out of China. And so, yes, the, the, the playing field has absolutely changed. So when we're coming into this earnings season, we need to be talking about meaningful execution by management teams. You need, we need to understand how they are mitigating this. Are they bringing pr production closer to distribution? Are we going to get a manufacturing renaissance here in the United States? That's what I'm looking for in terms of Jeffrey Gunlock's catalyst for growth here in the U.S. We need to change the paradigm. That paradigm is going to come with higher prices. It's going to come with higher input costs, wages, input costs, transportation, because we're going to do it here. Mm -hmm. But once we factor that in, we have a huge opportunity to reset kind of post-pandemic and bring some growth back to the U.S. that we've been exporting for decades. Now. John and Jerry, and the other issue that we need to deal with is crypto, right? We need to deal with crypto. Because sure. Scott Minard tweeted the following about... It dealt with itself. About, well, it's in the process of, okay? The collapse of crypto is the canary mm -hmm. in the coal mine, says Scott Minard of Guggenheim. Crypto told us ahead of time no. that stocks were going to be in trouble. And until we find a bottom here in crypto, we're not going to get a bottom in anything else. Why is that wrong, Doc? Why'd you say no? No, no, it's no. so small, Scott. I mean, that is just ludicrous. I, I do like Mr. Minard, but this is a ludicrous call, just like some of his ludicrous calls for uh, 250,000 for Bitcoin were ludicrous calls um, or during the bottom of the market when he called for us to go down another 25 percent in uh, March of 2020. Doc, Sometimes we don't, we, we don't people, need to relitigate Josh and everybody Scott on Minard's the panel career knows. And calls. I, I mean, know. A past call doesn't, no, but doesn't I mean, have some anything people to do with prior these, anything. Some people put out these kinds of statements, Scott, to get headlines, um, to get Guggenheim in the headlines and himself in the headlines. This is ludicrous. 
the entire crypto market is just over a trillion dollars or something like that. Uh, are you telling me that that and the retail uh, that have been decimated in crypto are what is going to take the stock market down? No, but what if I if told you, you it's not the money? That, it's not the just number. Like you it's said not the yesterday, money. I got a bridge over there what if, that I could sell you that goes from Manhattan to Brooklyn. What if I told you it's not the dollar amount? It's the it's the sentiment that it represents. It's the risk factor, the speculation that it represents in the overall market that needs to come out still. And that in Judge, and of you're itself, right about that. Well, but, you're you're yeah, right about that. You're right about, about that. that but, but in a, but it, yep. in a different in a different way though. June twenty eighth. Go read mm -hmm. uh go read what Brian Westbury put out this morning at First Trust. June twenty eighth is more important than the Fed meeting we just had. Quite frankly, once we knew what the number was going to be, June twenty eighth is the next report we get on M two money supply. M two money supply was completely out of control. And crypto is probably the most tangible manifestation of just how out of control it was. So much productive capital went towards something that, while it may have major promise on the horizon technologically, was fueling some of the most nonsensical things that we have ever seen. And it's, that's where Scott's comment, uh, both Miner and Wapner, that's why that comment is is worthwhile. <laughs> but I don't think that it's a but I don't think it's like crypto as the cause of something. I think it's more as the expression of something. I think Wapner's saying that. Uh, so wait till then. At the end of June, we're going to see what money supply is. It contracted meaningfully in a, up from April to May. But the problem with that is it may have been tax related. People had big gains. They had to pull money out of whatever and, mm -hmm. and pay taxes. Let's see if that's a trend, because if it is arguably it's good. We want to see that excess money supply cool the hell off so that prices in the real economy away from the crypto circus cool off. Well, it may have a lot more cooling to do if, if Jeffrey Gundlach is correct, because he told me yesterday in OT that he thinks it might go down to 10,000. So that's another cut in half uh, for Bitcoin, which is 20,900 as, as we speak. And then there's been such a high correlation between NASDAQ and and Bitcoin, I know that such huge selling today in mega caps. And we'll get into that, too, along with a lot of moves from all of you that we need to do uh, as well in the sectors ahead of the show. Straight ahead, Quadratic Capitals. Nancy Davis will join us with her best ideas now on how to navigate the volatility. She knows it better than most. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report.
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Let's bring in Nancy Davis now, Quadratic Capital CIO, for more on the market volatility, particularly in the interest rate sides. Good to see you. What's your reaction here to what the Fed did and said? Well, Scott, the the 75 basis points was not really a surprise. The Fed's been very aggressive with their forward guidance. It was already priced in. It really wouldn't have mattered if they hiked 100 or 150 basis points. We still have another almost 200 basis points of hikes fully priced in this year. I think the thing that I was very disappointed with with the Fed was they didn't really talk about the balance sheet. I was sort of like, that's the elephant in the room. The balance sheet, um, the caps are are set. It's already priced in. And I was expecting more from them. I felt like it was a little bit of a weak hand, a weak, a weak hand even saying it felt like the right thing to do to hike 75. I think the Fed is only focused right now on the demand side of the inflation equation. What about the supply side? How are we going to handle that? What about the money supply? What about the fiscal spending? What about the tight labor market? So I was definitely left wanting more. But I think one thing for sure, it's very bullish, bullish for fixed income volatility. But, it's, uh, I think, relying on uh, uh, that, that negative correlation between stocks and bonds might be something that is a thing of the past. A few, few things in, in what you just said that I, that I want to get at a little bit further, um, because it, it, I think, goes directly to interest rate volatility, where you, you say it's, it's very bullish. Um, they did raise their rate outlook to, to get more in line with where the market is right. I mean, we, we saw them clearly do that, which seemed to calm down the bond market, which has been screaming uh, lately. Do you think that will have any impact on on rate volatility? I mean, if, if you look at a, a let's say a week to date of the two year yield, you can see when the leak happened that the Fed was going to do 75 uh, yields exploded uh, on the two year and, and elsewhere along the curve. But what about the idea Fed more in line with market? bond market and yields calm down? Yes or no? Well, Scott, you make a astute point because volatility works on both sides. It's not just higher yields, it's lower yields. It's technically the movement in prices. And the market has priced in uh, almost 200 basis points more of hikes have been priced in this year. So I think what you saw yesterday was a little bit of a relief that the Fed was kind of easing off absolutely hiking another 75 basis points at the next meeting. Um, but 200 bips are priced in. And so I think vol works on both sides of the equation. It's really what's priced into the moves in the market. And the market has been very complacent saying, you know, that, that the Fed hiking rates is going to reduce inflation expectations. And so it's this bizarre environment. All markets work off of two things, right? Fear and greed. And right now the market is very fearful um, when you look at equity markets, for instance, but the rates market is incredibly complacent, thinking these Fed policy hikes is going to the U.S. yield curve in the forward space, which accounts for the hikes later this year, is actually negative. It's fully inverted. That means, you know, I, I lend you money. I get paid less to give you a longer dated loan. So the rates market is priced for a very disinflationary environment, thinking these Fed hikes are going to stop it. And I think that's really an opportunity for investors to look at 
ways of capturing future inflation expectations that are priced at very cheap levels, in my opinion. You you say you're disappointed that you didn't get anything more regarding the balance sheet. And there, there are some suggestions, and I noted one yesterday in overtime that I had read that suggests that the Fed is not going to be able to do, uh, nor are other central banks going to be able to do the degree of QT that they say, or at least that they want or hope, um, because of widening credit spreads. And that activity in the credit markets is going to dictate from here forward what they're actually able to do. And maybe Jay Powell is most afraid of that side of their action, if you will. The, the, the economy can handle higher rates, as he said, but the credit markets can't necessarily handle uh, more runoff. Does that, does that make sense? No, it, de- it definitely makes sense, Scott. I think, I think the challenge for the Fed is they need to take money that's in Wall Street and move it to Main Street. They need to, to get, you know, they don't extend credit, right? They just control liquidity and the supply of money. So I think really doing um, some type of way to steepen the yield curve would encourage lenders to lend money. Um, you can already see the mortgage market blowing out. That's just, you know, kind of ticking time bomb for the housing market. You know, the Fed, I think, is really making a policy mistake right now by only focusing on the demand side of inflation by just hiking policy rates. I think really they need to, to, to stimulate uh, credit and to stimulate credit to continue to be extended. And that you need a healthy upward sloping yield curve for the money in Wall Street to get to Main Street. So I really think they should steepen the curve. It's currently inverted, and that's not a healthy sign for any of us. So, so let me ask you lastly before we go. Um, let's say I've got you know, some money. I'm, I'm looking to take advantage of, of what you're saying, and I can only put half of it with you. Okay, So you can't say put it all on the eyeball. What is the next most attractive investment, do you think, to take advantage of the environment in which you describe? 50% goes to you? 50% goes to what? Well, you know, I'm always a contrarian, Scott. And when the markets get really fearful, I get really greedy. So I would say, how if your inflation-protected bonds have inflation protection in your portfolio? But then I would put some money to work in the equity markets because it's gotten very fearful. And the U.S. consumer... Although consumer confidence is very low because of inflation expectations, I think it's also really priced in because markets are always forward looking. So inflation expectations in the future are cheap. And I think the expectations that the economy is going to be okay are very low. And, you know, I like to, to always take the other side, but I would say have inflation protection on your bond portfolio. Get some equities in there. It's a good time. Okay. It might not be today. It might might be tomorrow. But everybody needs to be a long-term investor. Uh, playing a contrarian has worked well for you. I have to say, mm-hmm. I didn't know how you were going to answer that question. I, I did not <laughs> expect you to say that, though. I can honestly say I did not expect you to, to, to say that. Um, but that's why it's great to talk to you. Thanks for being here. I'll see you soon. That's Nancy Davis joining us today. We're all over the sell-off as well. Josh Brown is making new moves in his portfolio, as are others. We'll talk about them next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? 
Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good day, I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update this hour. The leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and Romania were protected by armed soldiers as they toured war damage near Kiev today. The visit is a declaration of Europe's united support for Ukraine's war effort. After some criticism, the countries have been too deferential to Russia. The four leaders say they support Ukraine's candidacy to join the European Union. In Brussels, NATO defense ministers posed for a photo as they wrapped up a two-day meeting on boosting defenses along the alliance's eastern borders in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They also pledged to continue providing substantial and unprecedented support to Kyiv. And the House of Representatives' January 6th committee is preparing for its third public hearing of the month. This afternoon, the panel intends to show former President Trump's pressure campaign over claims of voter fraud led to the January 6th attack on the Capitol and endangered the life of then-Vice President Mike Pence. Scott. Thank you, Contessa Brewer. The investment committee is making uh, some new moves, as I said. Josh Brown, we're going to go through a couple of yours, uh, which I know our viewers will find interesting. You sold RH, you sold Roblox. Can you take us through each, please? Yeah, RH wasn't bad. uh, Roblox was... uh, one of my uh, one of my worst uh, stocks I've ever been involved with. Uh, my fault, not the company's fault. Um, I think I think with RH, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're looking at on the consumer side, uh, RH is a phenomenal business, great company. I'll probably be back. I'll probably revisit it. I do have some ownership in that it's one of Berkshire Hathaway's holdings, so I'm not like completely gone from the story, but uh, it's just not the right time for this segment of the market. All of the trends in real estate tell us that people are going to be spending less, not more, on things like furnishings. So uh, I, I'll keep that on my radar. Um, Roblox, I made two errors. The first was uh, wrong company, wrong time. And then the second was something that I almost never do, allowing a trade to turn into an investment. So I went in without any predetermined exit. Um, but I, I think what's notable about that and where the real uh, value of taking a loss and thinking about why it happened, which is what professionals do, um, is that sometimes you just do something in one environment and, and then the environment changes. And what you hadn't thought about was, do I really want to own this in a different type of environment? Um, just like in, in the fashion world, things come in and out of style. And there was a time where this was a winner. And that time was mid to late 2021. It checked every box for the types of stocks that were outperforming, whether we're talking about TAM or user growth or the fact that they did a direct listing. They didn't even need to raise any new money. So there was no dilution right out of the gate. Like there were a lot of things to like. They were building their own ecosystem. It was gaming, which is pretty sticky. Um, But pay the wrong price, buy it in the wrong market. None of those positives matter. You know, it's, it's like that moment in 2015 when you left your house, you met your friends, you're wearing like a Von Dutch trucker hat. And none of your friends are, and they're all looking at you like, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why do you have that on your head? Like, what do you mean? 
a month ago, we were all out. We were all wearing trucker hats. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Right. Like, what? How, like, how did how did you see that come? So you look ridiculous. You look like um, you look like a guy walking around in, in like a, a polo shirt with a popped collar. It's like, what? Uh, t- where is your time machine parked? So uh, I have been whittling this position down on updates, taking a little bit more off, a little bit more off. Um, I'm finally out of the whole thing. I never want to hear about it again. So let me ask you quickly about one thing before we go. Dutch Bros, just give me something on it because it's down nearly, well, it's down more than 7% right now. It's been getting crushed. What's up with that? This is the opposite of that situation. This is a, a brand new company to the public markets, but it's been in business for like three decades. And I think what's notable about Dutch Bros is that it's involved in a category that really tends to do well, well in recessions. It's caffeine, so it's recession proof. And actually, go back and look at a chart of Starbucks following its, its uh, at that time, relatively recent IPO in the late 90s. This was a stock that continued to grow in 2000, 2001, 2002. The economy was bad. The stock market was worse. Growth was out of favor, blah, blah, blah. Starbucks excelled because it was early on in its growth trajectory, and it was what we call uh, an affordable luxury. People are going to have to give up on a lot of things when inflation is 8% and uh, GDP is contracting, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to give up on going through a drive through and getting their morning caffeine fixed. They can't even function uh, without it. So I actually think this is the opposite of, the, of what I just described, and I think I'll make money for that reason. Uh, this is a company that the last time they reported, the only negative thing they had to say was about dairy prices. Mm-hmm. Demand is off the charts still, and I still think they're going to open 5,000 stores across the country. A lot of people watching this show right now, Judge, have never even seen or interacted with a Dutch bro in his uh, native uh, habitat uh, in a parking lot somewhere, but yeah. they will. And they'll remember. I mean, I ask, I ask you because a lot of people watching this show may not have even heard of Dutch Bros until you bought it and uh, were referring to it on the show. That's why I wanted to ask you about it. I appreciate you addressing that. Well, just to, just to be very clear, mm-hmm. keep in mind, this is a tiny market cap stock. Nobody should ever buy something just because Josh Brown says so. You have to understand that this is going to be volatile, high beta. You have to pick your spots. Um, I definitely wouldn't like just blindly buy anything. Uh, in the consumer discretionary space overall, because consumer discretionary is going to be, I think, one of the toughest places to make money. However, if you could find some winners in that space, I think the people who invest there for a living and have to buy something, they're looking for secular growth stories that aren't about to get knocked down by the economy. And I'm hoping that this could be one of them. I would just say, like, take your time, do your own research. Don't go crazy. All right. I got you. More moves ahead. Uh, Shannon's got some. Degas Wright is here as well. And he's going to tell you about a, a new move of his when we come back. All right. Let's talk about some moves. I said Degas Wright uh, was here. I know tr- uh, flying into New York can be a pain in the you know what. Uh, but it's good to have you. And I'll see you in overtime as well. But you have a new move that we need to talk about ahead of earnings, Adobe. You it, trimmed it ahead of the number? Exactly. And it's, it's great being here from Atlanta. And the reason I trimmed Adobe is because, stuck, stuck, Scott, you may remember that last week DocuSign reported and it got a hit about 25%. So that made me look at a closer at Adobe because they have a, a similar e-signature product. The good thing about Adobe, though, it is it's profitable, first thing. And then the second thing is that it has diverse products. But I was really concerned because it, the analysts started to downgrade the stock. 
And so what I did, I backed off. I'm more market weighted now in Adobe. Are you nervous in general about the market itself? I mean, obviously, when, when they report later, the sector that they're in, um, it hasn't been easy to report earnings. You better do real well or your stock is going to go down a lot. Exactly. Technology, but also focused on the consumer. And that's a really concern because e-signature is really driven by consumer demand. And that's what I'm really concerned about. Okay. So you have other moves as well. You bought more Lockheed, you bought more Pepsi, and you bought more Accenture. Can you tell me about why you did that? The reason being is that I'm moving away from technology and consumer, and I'm moving to companies that have pricing power. Let's talk about Pepsi. Pepsi has three different product areas. It has the beverages. It has the uh, uh, the uh, snacks. The snacks with Frito-Lay, and also it has the foods area with Quaker. I like that, and also it's very profitable. It has about a three percent dividend yield. Really like PepsiCo. Also Lockheed Martin. Like that one because it's focused on the defense industry and cybersecurity. It has a strong. Um, uh, uh, the strong profitability on it, about 32%, like that. Also, Accenture, as we go into this very slowing down of the economy, companies will less likely be able to add employees. They're going to be looking for companies that can outsource and do consulting work, and that's Accenture. So those are the ads I made. Okay. All right, good stuff. As I said, I'll see you in overtime. Yes. I'll look forward to seeing you down at the Stock Exchange with me then. Uh, that's Degas, right? We're going to take a quick break. John's got unusual activity coming up. Shannon's got some moves we got to go through as well. We'll do all of that next. Plus, all June, we celebrate Pride Month. Here is Scott Stern, CNBC video producer. The LGBTQ community has made incredible strides in my lifetime, but we appear to be facing critical challenges to our rights. Now more than ever, don't just say gay, shout it. Support and nurture trans youth. Who you love and how you identify is your right. I make sure to live my authentic life with pride this and every month. Shan, let's go through some of your moves here. You sold Medtronic. Tell me why and what'd you buy with the proceeds? Well, we sold Medtronic. We own Stryker as well, Scott. So this is a little bit more of an opportunity cost trade for us. We believe in longer term over the course of the next couple of years, we think procedure volumes are going to come back. We love the healthcare space here. It offers both innovation um, as well as great free cash flow and dividends. But we sold Medtronic because we wanted to add Zoidus. And many of you may not have heard of this stock. It's actually Animal Pharma. If you look at competition in the pharma space, there's really no generic competition um, for animal pharmaceuticals. 60% of revenues for this company come from companion care, which is pets, um, and they're expecting that to continue to grow at 11% revenue. So we think that there's a lot of opportunity here. Valuation's fairly reasonable, um, maybe a little bit pricey, um, but in an area that we think has a significant secular tailwind over the next couple of years. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. John's Unusual Activity is coming up next. Unusual, Doc, what do you got? Well, Scott, I've got three, and one of them, the first one, is a bullish trade. It's uh, RIG, R-I-G. And the reason we like this one is because RIG has 20,000 of those November 4 calls. They were bought aggressively, so we jumped on that for about 60 cents to 65 cents, Scott. That's way out in November, however. November at the 4 strike. So cheap shot, but you have a lot of time. Second trade, take a look at Synchrony Financial, S-Y-F because bearish on these next two, these are bearish, Synchrony, they're buying the July 27 puts with that 
uh, particular stock at about 27.90, Scott. Um, they paid about $1.40 for those, so that's a bet, of course, on that stock going lower. Third uh, is Starwood. Uh, I love the way they run this thing usually, but because of higher rates, I think that's going to be working against Starwood. And bearish puts here, 10,000 of the July 18 puts with the stock trading right around 20 bucks. So in other words, looking for a pretty significant downside pull with a couple rate hikes between now and then, Scott. All right, Doc, thank you. Final trades are coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, don't miss overtime today, 4 o'clock Eastern time. The Wharton professor, Jeremy Siegel, is with me, top of the program today. Can't wait to get his take on what happened yesterday and where he thinks the markets are heading from here. And Chris Toomey as well, Morgan Stanley Private Wealth, going to get his view on the landscape. So I hope you will join me three hours from now. I do want to touch on the market uh, yet again. We are um, we're off the worst levels, right? We're still down nearly 700 on the Dow. Uh, S&P is off by 3%. <laughs> NASDAQ has been down around the 4% range for most wow. of the day. And that's really where I want to zero in on. Uh, Apple had given up 130, the 130 uh, level. It's uh, back up to 131. Got Microsoft down. And um, the fact that these stocks continue uh, to go down, how concerning is that uh, to you? It's concerning, but not that much, Scott. These are these are the stocks that did really well. They're also the most liquid stocks in everybody's portfolio. Technology had a great run. So if you've got deleveraging going on, you've got consumers, uh, customers taking money off the table. These are the these are the stocks that people are going to go to. They're most liquid, and, and I, I do think you're having that happen. But I do think these are opportunities. If you're a long-term investor and you want to look out 12 to 18 months or longer, uh, you don't get these opportunities too often. They could go lower. Uh, but that's what investing is, and, and I, I think that's when they go up because everybody bought the crowded trade. They're the biggest parts of the S&P. Uh, they also come down the fastest. Josh, it's so interesting. Or, Orlando uh, Bravo of Toma Bravo, he's the co-founder, uh, speaking to Leslie Picker about tech. Uh, I think there's more pain ahead is, is what he said. What's so interesting is just a few weeks ago, he said valuations in some software stocks had come down so much that it was, quote, the buying opportunity of a lifetime. It just speeds to the velocity of how negative things have gotten and how apparently worse people feel things are. This is the first potential recession, but the first real test, uh, economic test, of how sticky all these subscription products are. So this applies to Netflix and streaming services, Spotify we just heard negative news from, and this will also apply to SaaS software names. We just don't know how many of these subscriptions, companies that are downsizing or consolidating, whatever you want to say, how many of these subscriptions do they hold on to? We're going to find out, but there is no comp data. This stuff was not around in 07. So anybody with a strong opinion that they could ride it out or it's a great buying opportunity, prepare for your education. Yeah. Give me a, a final trade, Josh, if, if you would. JP Morgan, if you're about to buy a 10-year treasury at a 3.5% yield and you have more than three years as a time horizon, you're getting the same exact dividend from JPM. The stock is now trading below where it was in December of 19, pre-pandemic. Makes no sense to me. It's a port in the storm. 
I want to be long this rather than a bond at a similar yield. Maybe I'll we need a, maybe we need a diamond bottom part two. You know, he comes in and buys Get him JPM on the show, Judge. And Get him on. feels better about the world <laughs> after he made everybody feel worse with the hurricane comment. I don't know. It's his world. We're just living in it. Shan, final. I'm going to go with Costco. Um, different buying processes than larger big box retailers. Um, I think this is going to be great. They've got a subscription model. Mm -hmm. um, this, is a, this is a place that I think you can definitely right. hold on through, even if we get a recession. Okay, Doc. Letter X, U.S. Steel, bought calls. Surratt. Constellation Brands, beer, Modelo, Corona. Great, great okay. stock to own when things are slowing down. Great stuff. I'll see everybody in a few hours. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.